Um, he's away, I think, doing a wedding. And so he's away right now. And so happy Father's Day to y'all. We're not going to do a Father's Day message. So uh, fathers, maybe you feel like you're off the break. But um, I do believe this portion in Acts, it obviously fits the fathers. It's scripture, so it applies to you and the ways that you can encourage your family to serve the Lord, love the Lord, all those things um, is within, I believe, our portion of Acts where we are. So we're going to be at Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. And um, I'll read that portion, and then we'll just go on with the sermon. So. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the synod of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you uh, put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Acts chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. You know, this is an incredible word. Um, it's a historical, uh, historical text as we get to this is just what happened during this time period. Um, this isn't like Jesus' words are being said. This is just the historical, this is what took place during this time. And I think it's easy to kind of just go over, oh, okay, that's nice, this just happened, move on. Um, as if you were in prison and then all of a sudden you were actually taken out of prison, it would be like, oh, that was just no big deal. Um, that would be huge in your mind, how God orchestrates those things. And so you want to look at the important, like, the people, the disciples, the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders, and the military, um, the military there, places, Jerusalem, because they, they go to the temple and they, they begin to teach. Would you go back and teach if you were arrested? And then you're like, oh, let me get back in the temple. Well, that's what they were told to do, so that's what they did. So you have events and dates from the past, historical texts, and informational texts. You learn what happened and why it happened. We learn in this passage that the disciples have been arrested by the Jewish leadership, the Sadducees, who were filled with jealousy, and the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and told them to go into the temple and preach the words of this life. Tell them about Jesus. They obey the leaders, go back to the courthouse, and are wondering what in the world happened to these arrested disciples, and when they send them um, to the jail, and they're told they aren't there. Now that must have been a trip. You know, I know I arrested these guys. What do you mean they're not there? This is not good. Because I think um, the pastor from uh, two weeks ago said, like, the reality is this. If they wanted to squash uh, the whole thing of just, you know, our, our faith, they could have just said, here's the dead body. Shut up. We killed him. He's in the tomb. Here's his decomposed, decomposed body. But they didn't have a body because he wasn't there, right? And so here, this idea that, man, we put them in that prison, what do you mean they're not there, was a trippy thing for them. And then someone lets them know that the disciples are in the temple preaching, and the, and the guards go arrest them, but they are scared of the people's reaction. That's the story. There's so much great stuff here. Um, I would love to tell you every time 
um, you represent Jesus that you will get out of danger, but that's just not true. You don't see it in this text. This text says, hey, you know, God's going to make a way. But you see it in uh, a couple chapters over in Acts 7 where the first martyr Stephen is killed. Um, there's a growing resentment towards those that represent Jesus in Acts 5 by the power structure of the day. You may feel like, oh, I'm living in that right now. I don't know. They've already crucified their leader and they were supposed to stop the movement, but the opposite is happening here, right? And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. This is playing out um, of Acts 1-8. The Spirit comes upon the church in an unusual way. An extraordinary power is manifested. And life-giving testament brings people in the kingdom. Verse eight, uh, Acts 1-8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1-8 is a theme of, the, of this book. This is exactly what you see happening in the lives of those that know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Peter, of all the disciples, is the leader, and he is being thrown in and out of jail. This gregarious leader who denied Christ, remember the little girl? You were one of them, and he cussed her out, really. That's what the text says. He cussed her out, um, and now he's unashamed of Jesus. And you, you see this really with his life overall. When he was with Jesus, remember, he goes after the guard. You want to mess with Jesus? He cuts the dude's ear off. I'm sure he wasn't aiming for the ear, but he cuts the ear off. You know, oh, what? Jesus is where? Oh, I'm going to walk on water and get to Jesus. And you go, oh, he started drowning. But he got out of the boat and started walking on water. I wouldn't have done that. I would have been like, let me see myself in the boat. And so Peter here, because he has encountered the Holy Spirit, he's filled with the Spirit of God. He's a new person on the scene. This is more like Peter who cuts the guard's ear off, what I said. This is, Peter is now focused. He's, he's um, encountered the Holy Spirit, and he's a focused individual. The book is about spiritual power and witness and the new life gathered into churches spreading out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And this reason, this is what um, is so relevant for us, is that we still live in Acts 1-8. The witness to Jesus Christ has not been completed at the ends of the earth, and therefore the story of the book of Acts, the coming upon the Holy Spirit and receiving of power and bearing of life-giving witness is still happening where people open themselves to and ask for it and wait in faith to be clothed with power from on high. That's why I love serving on the missions team to some degree, finding out what's happening, what God is doing around the world. But let's just make it real, you know, what's what is God doing on your block? You know, how is God using you to reach those around you? This is what um, Pastor John Piper says, which I, um, he says, what I see in today's text is a lesson concerning the price and the preciousness of the spiritual power. This power that is for us today. I think it's easy to read texts like this and go, oh yeah, those disciples who were with Jesus, yeah, they just got, you know, that's for them. But this is really for us today. We're living outside of Acts 1-8. We are now the people who've been, we, you know, we gather here, we've encountered the Holy Spirit, and so therefore we now have the Spirit of the living God living inside of, who's empowering us to do great works. Verse 16 describes extraordinary power flowing through the hands of the apostles. All who came were being healed. The next two verses describe the price they had to pay for this power in three ways. The high priest rose up and all who were with, with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the common prison. The price of spiritual power here is suffering. That's not what you always see on TV with the spiritual power. But that's the price that they're paying for spiritual power. 
So there's three kinds here, jealousy, accusations of false teaching, and what we might call carnal counterpower. First there was jealousy, verse 17b, filled with jealousy, they arrested them. Power is a, uh, is a very dangerous thing both for those who have it and for those who don't, um, who don't but wish they did. The danger if you have is it is pride, and the danger if you don't is jealousy, and both are based on bad mistakes. Pride is based on the mistakes that the power is ours, or that we in our own strength fulfill the conditions to get it. But the fact the power is God's and we fulfilled any condition to get it, like faith, prayer, or purity, or um, it was not we, but the grace of God in us. 1 Corinthians 15.1. This is why a strong commitment to the sovereignty of grace is so crucial in this whole matter of power. You can't have a theology, a love for God, with its affirmation of man's self-determination. And let me tell you, I think the, the world is, is trying to get you to kind of feel this self like, man, you, you've done it, you've made it, you arrived. Look at you, you don't live in, I don't want to name a city, but you, you, know, you don't live in that bad city. You live here in Benicia now, look at you, you've done it. And you go, yeah, I have. Look at my education, look at all that I've achieved in life. I'm doing pretty good. But that's the opposite when it comes to our Christian life. We realize that what we have is because of God's grace and his sufficiency in that. So you can't have a theology with its affirmations of self-determination. It's ill-equipped to protect us from the temptations of power. What we need in this matter are strong doses of conviction about the inability of sinful man and the all-sufficiency of a sovereign, gracious God. This is the antidote to pride that we really have nothing and God has it all, and he's given that to his people. It's the antidote to jealousy, too. Jealousy is not just the passion to have the power that someone else has. It's in itself there may be nothing wrong with that, to want God's power in your life that you see in the life of another. <clears throat> jealousy is the anger and the resentment that they have, and you don't. So it's like when I look at my neighbor and I see all the cars in his front, I'm like, man, that's a nice Audi. Man, that's a nice classic. Man, that's a nice Tundra. That, if I want them, I'm like, you know, I, he really shouldn't. I mean, he's what, kind of retired? What is with this guy? Like, I should really have that. That's where it starts going, hmm, look at yourself. Jealousy is the anger and the resentment that they have it and you don't. Jealousy doesn't just want to have what others have, it's you don't want them to have it. What is the root of this jealousy? The th uh, three things. First, lovelessness, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. If you love one another, uh, another person, you will rejoice if God gives them power, even if he doesn't give it to you. Second, faithlessness. If you have faith in the sovereign grace of God to give power according to his own divine wisdom, then you praise him for the times and ways of his outpouring, not question him and resent his choices. Again, it's the strong dose of God's sovereignty that would keep us back from the sin of jealousy. God knows what he is doing, and he is wise and good in giving the spirit and power whenever he pleases. Faith may cry for, um, for it to come, but faith does not criticize God when he, uh, for when and where it comes. But there's a third root of jealousy, not just lovelessness and faithlessness, but also false doctrine, false teaching. Take the Sadducees, for example, in verse 17, they would have said, the issue is not love and faith, the issue is doctrine. These Christians are teaching the resurrection of Jesus and of his followers, and this is false. There is no resurrection 
The reason we are angry is that Christians are doing works of power is that they are deceiving the people to believe what is not true. There's no resurrection, and these magic tricks or whatever they are doing are only leading the people astray. That's what they would have had an issue with. The second kind of suffering you will pay if God gives you spiritual power is accusations of false doctrine. You can see the reason the Sadducees are so worked up about the power of the Christians by looking at Acts uh, 4 through 1 through 2. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them annoyed because they were teaching the people and claiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees denied the resurrection of the dead, Acts 23, verses 6 through 8. So when the Christians not only taught it but did signs and wonders to back it up, you can imagine the opposition. Because, I mean, did they not back this up? Here's Jesus. He died, then Jesus was on the scene, walking around. People were like, no, we, we saw him. We, we saw this guy. That's something that the Sadducees are like, no, we don't really like that. This does not mean that charges of false doctrine are, are unimportant. It just means that even if your doctrine is right, you will probably be charged with false teaching. Because this is one way to discredit your experience or power. It is part of the price you will pay, jealousy and accusations of false doctrine. You will suffer what we can call carnal counterpower. I see this in the fact that they were thrown in jail. The high priests and the Sadducees did not use spiritual counterpower to demonstrate that God was truly on their side. What we're saying is this. It's really not a big deal as a believer. You talk to missionaries and other parts where they, you know, they, they're, you know, maybe in China, they get thrown into jail. That's not the biggest issue of your life. Because then God's just giving you another place to preach the good news in jail. And that's what happens in those situations, right? Until they go, well, now we're going to kill you. Sadducees did not use spiritual counterpower to demonstrate that God was truly on their side. They used carnal counterpower, the power of politics and the power of the sword. It may take all kinds of forms short of violence. The two most common forms are probably ostracism and slander. If I am threatened by another person's experience of God's power, and yet I have no true experience of that power myself to counter with, one great temptation is to try to vindicate myself by holding the other person at a distance and slandering him with half-truths and um, exaggeration, innuendos, and sarcasm, and falsehoods. That's probably where we are really today as a whole. You know, if you're going to be the Christian on, at your job or at school or wherever you are, wherever God has placed you, people, you're really going to, they're going to slander you a little bit. Now, there might be some good reasons you get slandered because maybe your life isn't what it should be. But the reality is, man, the, the, what, you, what you're going against really is just this thing of like, well, let's just knock who they are. So you can count on it. If the Spirit comes upon you and you receive power to minister blessing and healing in these um, extraordinary ways, there will be a price to pay. The suffering of jealousy and accusation of false doctrine um, and carnal counterpower. I do not love TV preachers. Not all of them. Some, okay, are great. But majority of them I do not love because I think they give you a false reality of life. That everything's going to be just nice and great. And you're living in a time now where that's just not true as believers. That people look at you as Christians and they really go, man, you're stupid. And they're looking at you and they're like, ah, and they just, well, how are you going to live this thing out? So I think you have to be very, very careful nowadays when it comes to believing that, oh, if I represent him, then he's just got my back and everything's going to be gravy. That is just not true. That's just not scriptural. 
But it will be worth it because spiritual power not only has its price, but it has its preciousness. Here we could focus on apostles escape from prison. That must have been a trip. In verse 19, the angel of the Lord lets them out during the night, but I do, don't want to focus on the preciousness of such wonderful deliverance by itself because they are not promised for every um, trouble. Luke 21, 12 through 16, and we could fall into a triumphalist way of thinking about power and would be very harmful for us. Stephen is stoned to death even though he is filled with the Spirit and spoke with power. In Acts 12, 1, James' apostles killed by Herod. No angel came to rescue them. It is precious when he comes, but it's also precious when he doesn't. Meaning this, God may allow you to be killed. I used to tell my youth group, man, I hope some of you go to a faraway land and you die for your faith. You know, and people were like, I got this call from one mother. My son said, you hope he was, he died. I'm like, no, no, ma'am. I said, I hope one day he goes to a remote land where people don't love Jesus and he's preaching in such a way where people are like, we got to get rid of him. That's what I'm praying for your son. She's like, well, what, what can she really tell me? I mean, what can she really say? Well, I, I don't want that. Like, well, ma'am, it's kind of biblical. You know, I'm praying that God will rise up some missionaries here to do some crazy stuff. And she can't really say, like, well, I don't want my— Well, of course, no mother really wants that, but that's reality. You know, I would have a hard time if my kids came and told me they're going to be in Indonesia. I was in Indonesia one time, and it was during the Mike Tyson Holofield fight, and it was seen as a religious war, really. And so when he bit the dude's ear off, you know, we're watching it. We're by the pool eating lamb shakes. It was wonderful, amazing. And we have all these Indonesian friends, and they're very Muslim there. And we're at a place that they literally had, um, like, they nailed the doors and the windows shut, and they burned my friend's dad in the church alive. And so he's like, well, we're going to get to go back. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting. So when they told us, the, the, they came back and said, hey, you can't leave the embassy because the country's in an uproar right now. I'm like, oh, this is it. They're going to storm the embassy. Get me to my room right away. I mean, that was it. But that is the reality. I pray that is true for some of you. Some of you are young enough to go overseas and do something crazy for the Lord. Great. Some of you are young enough, or old enough too, I mean, hello, to just do something crazy right here in good old Benicia, where people will be looking at you like, what is wrong with these people? That's what I want you to see, the presence of spiritual powers that it is God's power and not ours. The prescience of spiritual power is that it's finally in God's control, not ours. It comes or it does not according to God's sovereign will. The angel of the Lord came to rescue the apostles this time, but he did not come for Stephen. He did not come for James. He came again and again for Paul and for Peter, but there are many times when he did not stop the beatings and lashings and stonings and shipwrecks, and there was one last time when he did not stop the sword. The extraordinary spiritual power of God is precious because it is, is God's and it comes or it does not come. According to his free choice, it is a precious thing for such great power to be in the hands of an all-wise and loving God. When it comes, we are empowered to serve others. The purpose that we, uh, is that we give a life. And when it does not come and we are left in our suffering, the purpose is that we might live life. Do you see this wonderful word, life, in verse 20? Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. If you are delivered from the distress by the power of God, the purpose of God is that you give life to other people. 
true life, eternal life, the forgiveness of sins and personal relationship with the ever-living God. And that is precious. It is a precious thing to be empowered to give life to others. But if you are not delivered, if the angel does not come to open the door, what then? Well, then the time may have come to simply live the life out. There may be nobody else to give it to. The days of giving may be over. They will be over for each of us sooner or later. Each of us are going to die. But this too is precious. When God withholds delivering power, he gives dying power. You can die with Christ. We live with Christ, we die with Christ, right? Peter said in his first letter that when you suffer for the name of Christ, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, 1 Peter 4, 14. That's what happens to Stephen when he is stoned to death. No angel comes to rescue him, but uh, Acts 7, 55 says, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When God withholds delivering power, he gives dying power, and that too is precious beyond words. Jesus said in Luke 21 that they will lay their hands on you and deliver you to prison, and some of you they will put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. Why? Because you will enter into life. You will be raised with the new resurrection bodies, no matter what the Sadducees say. Because remember, the Sadducees were saying there's no resurrection. What a hopeless way to live life. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, Romans 8, 31, right? So I call you to humbly seek the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, but do it with your eyes open. There will be a price. Jealousy and accusation of false doctrine or carnal counterpower, but it will be worth it because the power of God is precious. It is precious thing to know that the angel of the Lord comes or does not come according to the sovereign grace and wisdom of God. Sovereignty meaning that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants to accomplish whatever he wants in your life. Ultimately, he's saying, you're his. And if he comes, then we will go on giving the life of God to others. And if he does not, then we will go on living the life right into heaven as the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. So, men, how in the world does this relate to you? Well, first of all, it's just a text. So it's God's word. It's there for every good work. So that's how it relates to you. But second, um, it was just where we were in our, our series of going through Acts. But I think third, it relates to because this is what we want to really instill within our homes, this mentality to live life out, that we would be individuals wrapped up by God in this way and help our kids live this out. So with your eyes open to the price and the precious of the spiritual fire, I invite you to seek its fullness from the Lord. May you be just thrilled to be his, wherever that will take you. So whether you are the fireman, whether you're the teacher, whether you're just whatever you're doing, that you live this out in front of others before a living God who empowers his people to live life. And may God call you to do just amazing things that cause people to go, what in the world is wrong with these people? And when you have false accusations or when things get ugly, you have a group of people that can surround you and love you and encourage you towards love and good works. 
I think sometimes it's scary to live in a land like Benicia, where everything is, you know, really grand, and the average income is well over 150000 and you're just like, oh, I'm just kind of chill. It's easy for us to get comfortable in our sense of like, oh, look at our riches, or look at these, this nice, comfortable life that I'm living. Um, when I first got married, the sec- I had my wife read this book, not on marriage. It's just, it was a book on, it was Don't Waste Your Life. I was really scared. My, my girlfriend before my wife, she was like, oh, you know, and, you know, I was going to do real estate and, you know, make a lot of money. And, um, and she's like, oh, that'd be great. And that's really the life that she wanted, you know. I married the opposite. My wife, she could care less about any of that. I met her in Honduras in an orphanage. She was serving there. I was bringing my youth group. And, um... And I had to read this book called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. And I'm like, listen, at the end of our life, we don't just retire and just go collect seashells down in Florida, you know, and have a white picket fence. So when we moved to Florida, we literally had the white picket fence. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's happening. What in the world? But it was the only house we could really rent. And so what we found, we're like, okay, well, here we are. But man, that we would just be abandoned for the Lord, that we would live our life for him. That whether, wherever that would take us, whether we stayed here or we went somewhere else, that we would just be all living it out for the Lord. So I see a lot of um, older individuals in here. God did not just retire you for just like, oh, retirement. You get to say, oh, I'm going to go. And you don't collect seashells. We don't have a beautiful beach like that here. We have a nice little bay, but it's not like that. God did not just have you just retire so you can just like, oh, I'm just going to chill. He retired so you could get even messier. You have more time, maybe not energy, you have more time, though, <laughs> for the things of the Lord. So I would encourage you to do that. How can you live this thing out for the glory of God? Knowing the stakes are high, but knowing the stakes, it's worth it. Your young people need to see that in you. I need to see that in you. And then for those that are in my age group, we have young ones looking at us, well, how are they living their life? Are they just trying to achieve the things of this world? Are they living for the glory of God? What are we holding on to? What do we say, this is it? The people in this text, they knew what was, what was up. The reality, I'm having a tough time with this mic. This mic is not from the Lord. Um, so with that, we will take communion. Um, and remember his life, this is one of the things that he says, hey, do this as much as until I come in remembrance of me. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses um, 23 for our communion time. Simply says this. For I see for the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after um, supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. My prayer, I think the prayer of this church, is that you would live that out that your life would just be the call that others get to see Jesus in you. You know, we serve a holy God, meaning what? There's no one else like him. And so let's take the...
the bread. And then we'll take the cup. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the fact that you are alive and well, that you are um, not only sitting at the right hand of the Father, but you are living inside your people, that you are guiding, directing us, and we pray that you would cause us to to live out our faith unabandoned to you, that we wouldn't, the cares of this world would, would leave God, that you would give us a fire that would be how we can represent you. God, we thank you for the fact that you have not left us alone, but you sent your spirit to empower your people. And so, Lord, we thank you for the time that we've had in your word. We thank you for the fact that you've given us your word that able to give us life and life abundantly into the fullest. And we pray, Lord God, that you just continue to teach us that you continue to help us to be the men and women and children that you called us to be. In your precious name we pray. Amen.